0: Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. A few things before we get started. So, I'd like to just remind you if you haven't listened to the episode with CP Handler, go into the show notes. I am linking the episode there. So, listen to that first, perhaps, or go back and listen to it after this episode. I do have to warn you that in this next series, today's episode and the following episodes, you will hear about violence and some explicit language, so trigger warning. Next, if you do enjoy this podcast, please share this podcast with your friends and community. This is how you help grow this show. If you are new here, welcome. And I'd like you to know that we have a WhatsApp group where you could join and participate in the conversation. And of course, I love hearing from you. Thank you so much for all your feedback. I am a podcast success launch coach, and this podcast is a part of Jewish Coffeehouse Network. So check out the other podcasts on the network by going to jewishcoffeehouse.com. You have requested more, so here we go. Welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today we have a follow-up episode on our episode with cp handler from a few months back today we will be interviewing one of her clients slash kids as cp has referred to them and today's guest is randy we are so excited to have you on welcome to the show
1: good to be here thanks for having me
0: just a disclaimer today is not a jewish episode or focused on jewish we are going off tangent so i i know i got messages oh are they jewish like let's just put this out for a little bit we are going deep and raw into the story of randy today and we're so excited to have you on so let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your childhood or your background and we'll we'll move through your life story along
1: all well, right hey, i'm randy i'm from ohio or the various that are here um 27 i guess i've kind of had a rough life you know from childhood. All the grown growing up to what led me to go to DYS for juvenile life. And basically led me where I'm at today, living my dreams now. Yeah.
0: DYS is juvenile prison where you met CP for the first time, correct? Yes. How does a young boy end up in juvie?
1: Well, you can end up there a million different ways. But me, I just kind of had like a rough childhood, as people call it. I didn't really think it was that rough when I was a kid, but as I look back, it's like, wow, I did, i must survive. Like, I survived through all that, and I'm still here today. But I guess it kind of, like, all started when I was, like, young. One of my first earliest memories that I could think of, which is a bad memory, it was finding my stepfather dead, and he had killed himself. He slit his wrist in the shower. That was kind of, like, the first memory I have that's, like, the youngest I remember. That's when I lived with my mom.
0: So how old were you?
1: I was five when that happened. Four or five.
0: Did you have any siblings?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I had a brother actually. He was there. He was he was older than me, and I was the one who actually found him. My brother wouldn't go into the bathroom because like I remember the bathtub overfilling with water and it getting all like we lived in a trailer. So I remember seeing all the blood in the hallway to like the trailer and like I was only like four years old I didn't know what it was I didn't think it was blood or nothing you know so me and my brother just played outside until my mom got home and she like went inside and like seen all the blood like on the floors and like I just remember her like because I remember I locked the door too like I opened the door and like I seen the bathtub what we were feeling and like I just locked the door and closed it And me and my brother went outside and played. Till my mom got home, like, I remember when she got home, she went and, like, busted the door open, and I remember her running in there. I'm like, I just remember the image of, like, her picking him up out of the bathtub. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: So what happens after that? Do you stay with your mom?
1: No, I didn't, actually. And, like, I don't know if that was kind of a part of why she kind of gave me to my dad, but I always think in, like, the back of my mind, like, that kind of played part in it. It was probably like a year after that. I never met my dad at this time or nothing either. I met my dad, right? Like the day that I went to go live with him was the day I met him. And I didn't even know I was going to go live with him either. My mom told me I was going there for like the weekend, like a two day thing just to meet him and stuff. And then like when Monday came around, they were like, oh, go take a shower, blah, blah, And I'm like, well, I don't have any more clothes. They're like, yeah, you do. Your mom dropped them all off earlier. So I went and looked in the back, and there was, like, garbage bags full of all my clothes. And, like, then I didn't see her again for, like, it's probably, like, four or five years. And, like, I loved her. Like, I, I'd cry myself to sleep because I didn't, like, I'd want to hug the kids for my mom, you know? And uh, not seeing her for so long just made me, like, not like her. I don't know, really, I guess. But uh, she tried to come see me when I was, like, nine when I lived with my uh, brothers and stuff. And, like, I didn't really talk to her or nothing. After I moved in with my father and his girlfriend and their daughter and my grand—it was my grandfather's house, I didn't really know them that well or nothing. Like, I don't even think I called him dad when I first met him, because, like, it was just weird, you know? Like, I'm like, I call you dad. I don't even know you. But then, like, eventually, you know, we grew into each other from there.
0: It's unimaginable. You never had that closure with your mother. She just dropped you off. She didn't tell you. You know, there's this uh, Daniel Tiger song, Grown Ups Always Come Back. It's something we tell our kids, you know, don't worry, we drop you off at school or you go to a play date or a birthday party or to the grandparents. Grown Ups, we we always come back and it's a given and it's something that at such a young age was just taken away without any closure or explanation and just taking a moment to recognize that. So what was school life like for you, your social life getting into your adolescent years?
1: School was it was always kind of a problem for me, you know. Like third grade, I got in trouble for making a bomb it. <laughs> Like, I was a kid. I used to take apart like everything. I don't know if you ever heard of MacGyver. There was this show you used to take apart things and build cool things. And like, people used to call me that when I was a kid because I'd take apart my remote control cars and like make them faster and like do cool things with them. And like one day, me and my teacher got into it and I had like some parts from my RC cars in my book bag. And like, I just made a stupid comment like, I'm going to blow this place up. Well, I said, this B, you know, like this bitch (laughs) and uh, yeah, I got suspended for three days. My first time ever getting in trouble, really. They were like, if you like, this won't go on your permanent record or nothing. As long as you stay out of trouble until sixth grade, (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. So I stayed, I I stayed good really, but I mean, I still got in trouble in school here and there, just little things. And uh, middle school was kind of when I started getting in really big trouble. I got caught with weed. I got expelled from school. Do
0: you have friends?
1: Oh, yeah. I was I was kind of popular, you know? I mean, I had, well, what I thought were friends, I guess, but they really weren't, you know? How so? A lot of my friends that I grew up with, they snitched on me. And that's kind of how I went to jail because I didn't get really caught, like, really anything except like um, some burglaries, but they all wrote statements and stuff. And and those were people I went to high school with, you know.
0: Were they involved with you? And then when they got caught, they threw you under the
1: bus? Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did that start out? How did you get into robbing people? And why did you start it?
1: It started when I was probably like 14, 15. You know, I started like um, just basically experiment with like weed and stuff. And I'm like, my home life wasn't the greatest because I basically wasn't being loved the way that I wanted to be, you know, when I was a kid. Well, the way I should have been, you know, like I should have had more love than I did when I was a kid or when I was that age. So like it was kind of like just everything just a mountain up to like people always told me that I wouldn't be nothing or like I'd end up in jail or, you know. And so basically, I just thought that's what I had to be like. That's that's just that thought that's what my life was going to be. It kind of started like when I was, yeah, about 13 or 14 is when I started getting into like really big trouble. My first charge, I stole a dirt bike just out walking around and then I'd seen a dirt bike and I took it. Had no reason to take it or nothing. I actually got caught on it. And that was kind of like the start of my criminal record, my adjudicated criminal record.
0: When you got caught, did you feel bad? What were your feelings? No, not at the
1: time, really. I didn't know how to feel like that when at that age. Like, I didn't know how to have empathy for others at that age. And I acknowledge that now. Like, at that time, like, I didn't care. In my mind at that age, I was like, if if nobody else cares, why should I care? So it's kind of like a, I don't know what to call it. I guess like all or nothing, you know? But yeah, I really didn't feel bad for it. Like, I felt bad that I got caught, shit. (laughs) So after they got the dirt bike and stuff, uh, they put me on probation. They gave me a receiving stolen property of a muttered vehicle. And then like, um, well, there was a lot going on at home, too, at this time. Like what? So I got to backtrack. Sorry, it's this, I'm scattered. When I was eight, I was adopted by my grandfather. And it was all like, just kind of like a money scheme, kind of like adopted kids, they get a check every month. So my dad and my grandpa came with this plan, like you adopt him and we'll get a check for him every month, you know? So I basically just came, became like a money child. Whoever I live with gets a check for a thousand, twelve hundred bucks, whatever it was. Like, I really don't know how much, it was something like that. But like, my grandpa always did take good care of me. I can vouch for that. He was just, he wasn't there that much, you know?
0: How did he take good care of you and not be there that much? Well,
1: because he, he supplied, like, he, he got all the food. He always made sure I had food. And, like, like, I remember one year, like, he bought me, like, anything I wanted for Christmas, he would get me. It. Like, one year I wanted a PS2. He, like, came and picked me up from my aunt's house and took me to go buy a brand new thing, you know?
0: So he took care of your physical needs. Yeah, yeah. What was your relationship like with him?
1: We were really close because he was, like, kind of the only person I've had. Like, he, we, me and him got, like, really close. And um, he wasn't as bad as my dad. My dad was kind of abusive, too. Like, he would slap me around in stone. And my grandpa, he wasn't like that. He was just, like, old time, like, old school. Like, he'll whip your ass, you know. He wouldn't hit you, but he would, like, pat you over his knee and whip you with, like, a belt, you know. <laughs> my dad, he would, like, hit you in the head and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I got adopted when I was 8, and then I became, like, a money child. And then, like, when I was about 11 or 12, this is when the family broke up, and this is kind of when everything kind of just turned. So, like, my dad and my brother got in this big old fight about like, a cell phone deal or something, I don't know. And, uh, like, it was bad. My brother, like, ripped my dad's teeth out. and like, this is right in front of me. Like, me and my stepsister watched it all happen. My stepsister was getting ready to stab my stabbed my brother in like the back because he was beating the crap out of my dad. And I remember like holding her back, like, nah, dad deserved this one. Cause he smacked him with like an ashtray or something. It was, it was like a wild fight. The police came, like my dad ended up going to jail. My brother went to the hospital cause he needed stitches, but that's what like broke up the family. And then like my grandfather like made it to where like, I couldn't see my dad no more. And. Jason, he was young. This is my brother. He was turned into my guardian now, you know, since my grandpa was always on the road. Dad's not in the house no more. It's only me and Jason there now. Like, everybody's gone except us two. I was getting into trouble and stuff. Just not being able to see my dad. I was getting mad and stuff. So, like, I would go out and kind of rebel. Just sneaking out, getting in trouble by the police. And then, finally, my grandpa moved me to my aunt's house when I was about 12. And I stayed out there for about a year. She kicked me out because my grandfather gave one of her dogs away. So she had kicked me out, and then I moved back at, like, 14, 15, back in with Jason. So it's me, Jason, and my grandpa back in the house. Jason didn't really care what I did. You know, he's young. He's 20. He was he was younger than I am now, like, with a little brother. Like, I wouldn't have cared what you were doing neither, you know? So, like, I had a lot of freedom, and that's kind of, like, what kind of was bad too? Me having all that freedom to get in trouble.
0: Back to the trouble you were getting into. What eventually got you to juvie?
1: Yeah, I got the R S V P. of the, uh, the dirt bike. The receiving stolen property. For that, I was on probation, and my first time I ever getting locked up. I think it was like three days, maybe, maybe a week. They locked me up for violating probation, like I skipped school or something. So then I went in and then I got out and I was out for like a couple of weeks. Did something else, I forget. Probably I failed a drug test, maybe or something, or like I skipped like a thing. I don't really remember. But then they locked me up for two weeks. And they're like, Your third time is not going to be, you know, two weeks. So the third time, they locked me up for 90 days. I remember on my 90th day, I either had to go, I had to get released that day or go to court. And I was like, oh, I'm getting out, nah, I'm getting out. <laughs> nope, they picked me they came up and took me to a group home for six months. And then I got out of there, and I was doing really good then. Like, I was I was on top of my stuff. Like, I was getting good grades at school. They have this thing at our school. It's like a Pioneer of the Month, like the most improved kid. And, like, I I got that. I had good grades. And then, like, one day, I, I didn't come home straight after school. And... My, my grandfather, he got mad about it. And, like, he, this, at this time, he's, he's older. Like, he can't really drive truck that much now because he, he had gangrene on his feet. So, like, he doesn't drive truck anymore. He sits at home, and he's the one really watching me. But I didn't come home. Later on that day, when I did come home, he got, we got in a big fight, and I remember he broke a cane over my head, like a wooden, a wooden like, walking cane. So I am took the other half of the cane and I ran to my aunt's house. And I was like, I'm not going back. Like, I'm not going to school or nothing. Cause like, I'm on, I thought I was on probation, but I wasn't on probation anymore. They didn't tell me I wasn't on probation. So that's kind of why like, I ran away and I didn't come back because like, oh yeah, if I go back, I'm definitely going back to jail. Cause I'm not going to school. So I was already off probation. And I didn't know this until I actually caught my new charges and so after i ran away and stuff like i'm thinking i'm gonna go back to jail and i'm like no i'm not gonna go back like forget that you know so i was kind of on the run while well, i thought i was on the run which i really wasn't so it was kind of like the all or nothing thinking again it was like okay i already got i'm already going back to jail like it doesn't even matter what i do now and really i didn't really have to do anything i could have just went home and like my grandpa would have took me back in you know he probably would have but, um, you know, you got to eat when you don't have any money, and you got to figure out ways to get money. And, like, I'm only 15. I can't really get a job. Like could have probably, like, fast food, but nobody wants to do that, you know? I just remember the first robbery that I like, ever did. We got, like, $3,000. Well, I got $3,000. And from there, it was just, like, easy money, you know? I was just like, wow, that was so easy. Like, I put forth some minimal effort.
0: Can you describe what it means to rob someone? Do you surveil them beforehand or was it spontaneous? It was
1: weird. Like, it was a lot different times. Like, back then, like, people weren't, like, all gun ho happy. And, like, they... It was... It wasn't as... It is... I don't... I don't it was... It's, it's, like, think about it now. Like, I don't even know how I used to do that. It's... And, like, when I used to rob people, we, like, knock on their door and see if they were home. And if they were, we would offer to like cut their grass or something, you know. So like we're gonna make money like regardless, kind of.
0: And some people said, yeah, please cut our grass. Yeah, and give Yeah, money. like
1: we've had had people do that, and like we would come back and cut their grass, you know. And or we wouldn't, you know, if it was too far away, depending on where we're at. And then like yeah, like it's it's. I don't know how I used to do that. Like we would knock on the door, and if nobody was there, like we would find a way to get into your the house and like take what we could you know
0: did you fight over who gets to keep what
1: well no like because at the first one i did it was like six or seven people and i just came just to be there and then like i ended up going in the house too and i ended up finding three grand and i feel so bad damn i'm such an asshole but um yeah like after that first time it was just like okay that's how i can get money and eat and you know i'm partying a lot too because like i'm not going to school i'm not doing nothing with my life not doing anything productive yeah i got uh just robbing houses and i got caught with a couple guns i have four felony 30s and two felony twos and like 11 misdemeanors i only did that just because i needed money and like food and places to sleep, you know, like people aren't going to let you eat and stay at their place for free. You got to put forth something, you got to bring something to the table, you know.
0: When you get to juvie, what are your feelings about the world?
1: Oh man, it was, I knew, because like you, like as a juvenile, like being in a detention center, you hear, you hear all this stuff about Juvenile prison, you know, and then like you hear all this stuff outside. Is it as a kid like, oh, you better not go to juvenile prison. Like, oh, big bubble will get you. Blah blah blah. Like you hear all these things, and like when you're pulling up to those gates, because the detention home is completely different than juvenile prison. Like juvenile prison is literally there's a gate wrapped around the whole thing. Our detention home didn't have that. It was just a building, and you had like a little gate outside like, pulling up to those gates, I'm the only person coming in, and, like, it was the day after Thanksgiving, and, uh, I'll never forget that, because I was the only person that was on intake unit, and this is, like, the Supermax 23 and one in Circleville. They actually closed that institution down though. but, yeah, I was the only one there. It was so weird, but, like, pulling into that place, I was just, like, this when they called the Sally Port, that's what they call it, like, the gates going into there. Like, I'm pulling up, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, here goes. Like, I'm going to punch the biggest dude I see. <laughs> like, that was what I've always been told, you know? As soon as you get in there, punch the biggest dude. It doesn't even matter if you lose, you know? I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect because it's literally a whole different world. Like, nothing out here pertains to anything in there. Nothing in there pertains to anything out here. It's completely different. The rules are different. The laws are different. Like, I watched a kid get stabbed in the head with a pencil once.
0: Did he survive?
1: Oh, yeah. I've seen a kid get hit with a lock in a sock while he was sleeping. I didn't see it, but I was on the same unit. And, like, we all woke up to this dude getting hit with a lock in a sock. Like a lock for your school locker that was in a sock and somebody was beating him with it. I guess it's definitely, it's definitely crazy. And you see, like. The people that come in there, you could tell which ones aren't going to make it.
0: What do you mean by not going to make it?
1: Well, they're just going to get extorted. They're going to get their food taken. They're going to get taxed. Like taxed is like, okay, you order commissary and somebody comes and takes it all from you. Kind of like the government with your paycheck. They take it, like, here, we, yeah, you did all that, but we're going to need it from you, you know?
0: Now but, you know all about <laughs> that, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's crazy and I'm a, a taxpayer yeah and you could take it one of two ways you know you can either take it to either look at the opportunity as what it is like okay you could either learn to get better or learn to be a better criminal from there and that's when i first went in i was wild so in the juvenile thing there's minimum medium and close minimum is like minimum security medium is medium security and close is maximum security so when i when you go in, you take a test and they classify you on, on your class. And I classified one away from, uh, like the maximum security or two points. It was something like that. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to like Sciota. Like I'm going to stay here 23 to one, you know? No, nope, but I, I got lucky and they put me in the minimum institution as a, I was a medium, but they put me in the minimum institution of B dorm. And like when I first got there, I was on intake unit and some of my friends came from Lorraine. and I remember it was probably not even my 15th day there. We had a big riot. just so a the big old fight right. on uh, a it was like, it was supposed to be the whole unit, but everybody else got scared. And it was only like six or eight of us that ended up getting into the riot. And, um, like, when I first got there, my first year, I was just rebelling against everybody. Like, F you, F this, I don't want to be here, you know? And, like, I realized it was it was mainly my cousin's death in 2014. It was June, my cousin's Texas death, that kind of, like, really opened my eyes a little bit and made me realize, like, it, like, opened my mind. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of, like, the more I hate this place... The longer my time is gonna be you know and like because i wake up a lot hating it and it just went by so slow so like i i acted like i loved it and i eventually i'm not gonna say i loved it but i made myself love it you know what i mean like i'd wake up with a smile on my face you know i was going to sleep with a smile on my face nobody could touch me you know i heard this one thing before it was it said um if you act good eventually you'll be good you know you can act good for years eventually you're going to become it and that's kind of like what i did you know i was just acting good like because all the stuff like being bad and rebelling against everybody i mean it did get you somewhere in there because they did show a lot more love to the bad kids than the good kids but but it didn't get you anywhere really like mentally it made it more stressful for you like me than anybody else
0: talk to me about your first meeting with CP.
1: Oh, our first meeting?
0: <laughs> your first introduction, and, like, what did you think of her? Oh,
1: I didn't like her at all. Didn't like her at all. I remember I remember, I got assigned to her caseload. I didn't talk to her for, like, the first two, three, maybe is was, was a couple months, you know? I think I even, like, told her off one time, maybe. I don't really remember, but I know we did have a rocky start. But eventually... Eventually, we started talking, and then like we ended up becoming like good like I don't know I don't know what to call I don't know, I guess friends you know I would say you know like we came really close and like we like I was able to talk to her and like I could tell that she actually cared. Besides like everybody in the building you know there's all negative in that whole building it's all negative there's nothing good coming out of a juvenile prison you know. But like I could just I don't know, like her vibe and just you could tell that she really cared about these kids in this building. And when nobody else did, like not even their own parents cared, you know, and I'm, a, I'm an example. Like I could I could vouch for that. Like She cared for me even when I didn't care about myself.
0: Was that a big factor? It was like, how can she possibly care so you couldn't trust it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, how can I trust her when I can't even trust? My family, I can't trust, like, I can't even trust my own mom, you know? Like, how can I trust her? And, like, I, I, I got past that. It took a while, but I did get past that. And I'm like, here we are today, 10 years later.
0: It is 10 years. Yeah. 10
1: years later.
0: We're right around Thanksgiving. <laughs> Tell me about a pivotal moment in your work with CP, if you're comfortable sharing.
1: She basically, like, described to me, like, like a life different than the life I was living because what I was doing is it felt like that's all I ever known was like to rebel and stuff and like she opened my mind and like mentored me to like I don't really know it's basically watching her too and like how she handled herself
0: how did she handle herself like
1: just always so nice and caring no matter what like nobody could bring her down no matter what happened to her her tires got slashed and she still came in the next day laughing and smiling about it And I had another person in there, too, Dr. Williams. Like, she was a good person, too. Like, her smile would brighten up a whole room. And it was just like, how do I get to be like that? I'm not going to get it going down this road. Like, I have to try something different, you know? But uh, a pivotal moment would be, like, I can't really think of one. I, I know there's a bunch, but, like, I just can't think right now.
0: Tell me about the relationships you've made in prison were any of them real
1: oh yeah those some of the like the relationships in there you'll never match Like, i mean not with the staff or not but like the brotherhood and the relationship that i had with those a lot of those kids in there like i'll never have that again with nobody else and that that sucks you know but i'm thankful i did have those because those helped me out a lot too like those kids in there like they don't have nobody. You're with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they become like your brothers. Like we like your brothers. It's like living with your family. You know, like we we read each other's letters, we we show each other pictures and and stuff like that. But like those relationships, you won't you won't match nothing like that. Just because like the kids and they're like it's it's all a you. You know what I mean? Like the youth. Have to stick together, like they have that certain kind of bond, you know, and then like the staff, they stick together.
0: Were you ever abused or mistreated by anyone but staff, particularly?
1: I wasn't like, like no, I was well known, like everybody knew me there because I had the longest time there, you know, one of the longest times there, when except when Emilio came. <laughs> Emilio came and blew me out of the water, but um. No, like, I mean, I did, like, a lot of staff didn't like me because I kind of had more power. I'm not going to say power, but I had more leeway than they did because, like, I would cook food for the superintendent meetings. Like, I worked down in the front office. I, I was, like, at the beginning of privileges. my— Privileges. Yeah, I had a lot of privileges. Like, privileges nobody in that institution will ever see again. Like, I threw the first pitch at an Indians game in this prison. I like I've yeah it was crazy like I've done a, and they don't ever do this again like they made me actually they actually made me a photo of them when I left it was weird the craziest thing.
0: Talk to me about what it was like leaving and restarting your life.
1: Scary I was scared I was definitely nervous because my my parents my my father and my grandfather they came up frequently and came and seen me in there and they were they were making bets on me. They were like, uh, you won't make it six months. You won't make it six months, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, all right. And that's kind of like, I held that up too. But a main thing that helped me getting out of jail was not going back to the same environment that put me in jail. So I moved in with my brother, Jason. Uh, he was, thank God that he let me move back in with him. Because if I had to move back in with my grandpa, I probably would be back in jail right now, honestly. And CP
0: helped you make those choices?
1: She actually helped me make those decisions because I was even telling her, like, I don't know where I'm going to go when I get out, you know? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to stay at. Like, I like I love my grandfather, but I don't want to stay in that environment, you know? And she was like, what about your brother? And I was like, "Nah, he wouldn't let me do it, you know? Like, he wouldn't. We went back and forth about it a couple times, and you're like, just ask him, you know? And then, like, I ended up asking him, and he was like, He's like, yeah, like, he actually thought about it. And he's like, yeah, dude, like, I, I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Because he, after I asked him, like, we, we didn't really have a relationship. He didn't come and see me that much in jail. But, like, once we started talking and stuff and, like, he started coming up with seeing me is when I asked him. And he was just like, yeah, dude, like, I don't have a problem with that.
0: So you got a job?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I actually I worked in jail. I did drywall in there and for a dollar 75 an hour. <laughs> that sucked. I'd put in so much drywall in that place. Now like being out and looking back, all that labor they got off of me, that was like a $100,000 job I did there. And now they paid me about $400. <laughs> Yeah, like getting out, I was really nervous. I was scared even just because just I know all my friends are going to hit me up to want to hang out. I've been away for three and a half years. Like everybody's hitting me up. So when I first got out, I didn't do nothing for about two months. I didn't do nothing. I sat in the house and just, And my brother's like, dude, you got to get out the house. Go do something. And the first thing, I, first place I went, I walked to the library. And I just checked out some books, went back home. I had a flip phone. I remember I got on. I bought a flip phone because I I didn't even know how to use like a smartphone. Like I didn't know how to sign into Facebook. I didn't even know how to work like anything. I was like, man, technology was so crazy and so different from when I went in. It blew my mind. Yeah. Then I finally uh landed a job at Taco Bell. Man, that was fun. Not really.
0: Was it hard getting or the? process of getting a job with a record
1: no because i was juvenile so it was adjudicated so places that do background checks can't see juvenile records so that was that was cool too even with i had an syo uh, attached to my thing so an S Y O is a serious youth offender that's like a repeat offender that's like okay this is your love. like you get in a fight in jail you can go to adult you know what i mean you can go to adult prison and i was testing the limits of that too I got a bunch of fights, and I did a bunch of things to where they could have bonded me over, but they didn't, thankfully. Yeah, I got out, but they set me up, too. Like, Terry Florence, mad respect for him. Missed that dude, too. He helped me out, man. He, he, he took me off campus to go get, like, my driver's license. I remember he took me off shot to go to Coles to go get a whole suit. Like, I spent, like, $400 in my commissary money because he could pull the money off my books and spend it on things. So, like, when he found out I had a court date, because my time was mandatory. I had four years to my 21st birthday, whichever came first. And, of course, my 21st birthday came before that, I'm pretty sure. And then, like, with that, you can't get, you really can't get, like, an early, I guess, because it's like, or you think you can, but it's, it's something weird. It's like a... A twenty-one staff, I think, or something. I forget. It's something weird.
0: Tell me about Terry Florence.
1: When he found out, like when the whole institution I found out, I got a court date, he was just like, "We gotta get you off campus." He's like, "I'm making sure you're getting out because I'm just dead late." Like I, I've done, I, I exercised everything I could in there. Like I did, I did cooking classes, I did drywall, I did everything I could. And he's so Terry, like, he was a really cool guy. I'd sit there and talk to him for hours too. But, um, he took me off campus, bought me a suit, shoes. And i like, remember, we're getting ready to leave. And he's like, oh, we got to get you a watch. We got to go get you a watch. We went and bought a watch. And then like, when I went to court, I had, I had like five people come with me. Flo was there. I remember he stood up and spoke and, and like, if it wasn't for those people coming to court with me, I'd have never got out that day. The judge even said, she's like, I called you in here today to basically, um, tell you to stop writing for you early. But she's like, you brought five people with you that are vouching for you. They're like, you're, you're just dead weight. Anything else, like him sitting in here is hurting him more than it's going to help him out. And she was like, I can't release you today because you have to serve at least one day of your last year. And I don't even know how she did that because it was uh, concurrent. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. She sentenced me back to the detention home for that one day. And then Friday, I got released from the detention hall of doing, like, three years.
0: Did you do anything special to make all these people show up for you and vouch for you?
1: They call it special, but I, I guess they, I guess it would be special. I just call it giving thanks to them, you know? Like, I owe it to those people, you know? Because I just did what I had to do, you know? I was a good kid. I, I changed. I, I I guess they call it rehabilitated. And it was them that really helped me. And like, I didn't want to let them down too. Cause that's the kind of what kept me out so long too. Is like, when I get in those ruts of like thinking like off oh, F this, F that. I just think of like the people I would hurt, even if like they're different today, you know, it still doesn't change my outlook on who that person was at that time. And like, I feel like I'd still let you down if I messed up, you know?
0: Before we move on to your life now, and I definitely want to go a little bit into that, is there something you can share? Because I know on our next episode with Emilio, who comes from the gang life, and you did not come from that. What was that like being not in the gangs and having to live or have relationships with people who who are? Was it intimidating? Did you feel insufficient?
1: First went to DYS. I remember I first got to um, Cleveland, and Ernest, he came and sat on my rack. And this CP, nobody knows who this kid is. I shouldn't say names, but they call him E. And he, he was, what do they call it, the GF, the godfather of the gang at the time. Like That's like the top guy that calls all the shots and stuff. He came and sat on my rack. And I'm only here for like an hour or two Like it's nighttime, everybody's getting ready for bed. I just got here And he was like, hey, I know what you're in here for He's like, you want to get down, O-down, oh, or something else so It was like some kind of slang that they use And that's like, are you going to join the gang? Are you going to pay the gang? Are you going to be a victim of the gang? And I was like, I'm not going to be none of those I'm flared solid I was like, you can do what you got to do, you know what I mean? But just know I'm not giving up nothing I'm not doing none of that And nothing ever happened, you know what I mean? I felt like he really respected it, because after, well, after the riot, because, like, the riot was a couple days after that. After that, they really never, like, tried to press me or nothing, because they just kind of knew who I was, and, like, I wasn't going to go down for none of that stuff. And, like, a lot of them became real good friends with, you know? I'd bring them down to the superintendent's office, and it could be feeding them steaks and tacos down there with us, like the gang members.
0: Tell us about your life today. What does it look like?
1: Oh, my life is everything I've ever dreamed of. It's literally, I mean, a minus the money part. Okay, I could always use a little bit more money, you know. But other than that, my life is amazing. I got a beautiful baby boy whose name's Lincoln. He's one and a half. I had a beautiful girlfriend. She's amazing. A beautiful house out here in a real, real area, you know, and it's like, This is literally what I used to dream about in, in DYS, like, this is what I want to be. I wanted to be that neighbor that, like, when they came over to my house for a cookout or something, and like, I told them, like, yeah, I was in prison for four years. They'd be like, what the hell? Well, for what, you know? And like, that's what I am today. You know, some people, I tell them, like, what? Like, you did four years? Like, you not seem like that type.
0: Do you feel like you have completely healed from your childhood trauma?
1: I don't think that anybody will ever be completely healed from all the trauma they have. It never goes away. It just gets easier to cover up and hide.
0: Do you feel like you're a fully functioning adult and part of society? Or is there anything you struggle with that you still carry from your past?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I do. I struggle a lot, you know, especially not having any parents because I just lost my father recently. So, and then I don't talk to my mom anymore. So, like, I don't really have, like, the family. And I'm like, me having a kid, I didn't have any childhood pictures to even compare, like, pictures of me when I was a baby to my kid, you know? Like, the youngest picture I have of me, I think I'm five, maybe six. And it's, like, a blurry, like, you know, but like, you could tell it's me because like, my looks haven't changed. But, like, that kind of bothers me, like, not having any pictures and stuff, of, like, when I was a kid. Like, that kind of bugged me a lot, too.
0: Does anything come up for you now that you're raising a child are you being more mindful? Yeah, no,
1: it does. yeah, it does. Like even me having like my son, okay, like it's I think about that a lot too. It's like I think about like how can somebody I, I don't know. I think about my mom too. Like how can you have a child out there you know nothing about? You know, like I I compare that to my child. Like I can't go a day without seeing my dude and like making him laugh or something. You know. And like I don't feel like that's ever going to change, ever.
0: A lot of your unresolved or resolved stories with your childhood comes up because Mm -hmm. now you're seeing the perspective of the parent and you're reliving his childhood with your childhood, comparing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's just like my parents taught me how not to raise a kid. My son, he's so happy. He's a little butthead sometimes, but... (laughs) He's a boy, you know.
0: So before we wrap up, I still have one question. Have you ever hurt anyone, either intentionally or unintentionally, that you had to work through or resolve?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: What's your biggest regret?
1: I've been asked that a bunch, and I don't, I don't really regret anything in my life. And the only reason why I don't regret anything is because if I regret it, I'm gonna think about it more than often than I should, when I just want to forget about it, probably. So I, I I wish things didn't happen in the ways that they did, but I don't regret them. Like, I'm sorry that they happened like that. I'm sorry it took that way for me to figure it out, like, going down that road. But if it wasn't for that happening, I wouldn't be here or nothing. But the one thing that I could have, like, and I don't want to say regret, but I wish I could have changed, was... Probably just being more closer to my grandfather really.
0: I guess my original question was, any victims that you feel most regret uh, about?
1: Yeah, I feel bad for all of them, you know, like I, man, there was so many, yeah, there was there was quite a few. And like, I do feel bad, but I was just young and dumb and I wasn't even thinking <laughs> at all.
0: If there's anything you'd like to say, CP's listening, to this conversation right now if there's anything you'd like to tell her that I'm sure you've told her everything under yeah. the sun already but if yeah. you can make a moment out of this conversation right now and express what what she's been or what she has done for you to help you have the life today that you dreamed of when you were in DYS what would a few sentences that come to mind to you be?
1: And I really appreciate it and that I wouldn't mess it up for anything. I'm gonna keep going strong till the day I die.
2: CP, is there
0: anything you'd like to add to the conversation? It's
2: crazy that it's been 10 years, right? Like that's a very huge remember, right?
1: Yeah, I met you. I met you. You were uh, 16. Yeah, I was about to turn 17. Yeah, -hmm. it's
2: crazy that it's been 10 years. I think that you know this, that like the best thing, the best gratitude that you can show is living your best life and paying it forward, spreading your inner healing to everybody around you, and then ultimately like as widespread as you can. And as people are interested in, I always tell you it's an honor. And when you FaceTime me with Lincoln's birthday party, right, when he turned one, like any, any way that I am still involved in your life and able to provide support to you, to Kayla, to Lincoln, um, it's just an honor, like it's really, The fight that you had when I met you and the fight that you have today, it was always going to live within you, comes along with an adult brain, which there's a lot to say to that. I also think it comes along with a lot of healing and effort on your part. It's an inspiration and it's beautiful. And listening to you and your comments and your responses and your observations from like a trauma lens, it's absolutely mind boggling that you've created the life you always dreamed of.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's still a lot and like, you know, CP, there's still a lot more, but that's just like a lot of key things in my life, you know, that like, I kind of think about, like, I, I remember, you know, like the key memories, core memories, you know?
0: Yeah. But now you've caught up. All adults have stuff yeah. and we're all working on ourselves.
1: Yeah. Every day.
0: I'd like to thank you both so much for doing this conversation. It's such an honor to be facilitating this 10-year anniversary reunion yeah. and yeah. deep dive into a uh, a short version of your life story. Your story was brought up and described in our first episode together. And then CP kept referring to you as her kid and
1: yeah, yeah. You know, that she loves you.
0: And I, first of all, you know, you're adults now and she keeps calling you kids. And yeah, I, I was trying to understand what she's talking about. I have had students before yeah. and they're kids, but they're not my kids. And it hit me after having this conversation that there's so much more that the care and the love and that you've built together. Yeah, it's it's beautiful to see. And it's inspiring to awesome celebrate life transformation. You were that little vulnerable boy and CP found you and it was that first bubble of positivity you've experienced in your life, it seems like. And it feels like we're witnessing a miracle story and it's so beautiful.
1: When I first met her, it was, it was bad though. (laughs) It wasn't like that at first, it took a couple months.
2: Yeah, you know, people listening and people who are in treatment and people who have gone through trauma, like, I think that's a good thing to remember that in the beginning sometimes it's more painful and more fears will come up. And when you plunge through it and you have the courage to stay in treatment, like Randy did, then you can really actively create miracles in your healing process and then in your life. Thank you so much,
0: CP. Thank you, Randy.
1: Well, that was awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening until the end. If you are not subscribed to the show or if you are not following the show on your podcast app, make sure to do so so you don't miss a notification. Check out the backlog of this podcast as well as the other podcasts on the Jewish Coffee House Network. If you need help with your podcast or if you know anyone who needs help with their podcast, please do refer them to me. This is how you help support the show. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or family member. Keep talking about it. Participate in the WhatsApp group conversation and stay tuned for the follow-up episodes with Emilio in the next few weeks. In the meantime, if you are celebrating Thanksgiving, have a beautiful weekend. If not, have a beautiful week as well. See you next week.